0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to Suiting Up Podcast, a show where I delve into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers. I interview them and try to unpack the psychology of their success. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Hope everyone's off to a great start to 2018. And as many of you tuned in to last week's show may know, we've decided to create a three-part series reflecting on core sharings from some of our 32 previous guests, distilling them into three topics. Last week was high performance, this week is leadership, next week we finish with success and failure. Note, our 32 previous guests all fell in 2017, which right now I'm dubbing season one. Now in part one, as I said, we talked about high performance, more or less the keys to becoming a high performer, seeking out greatness, or how we talk about these things in the form of success. Itemized list was full of hard work work ethic, attention to detail, time management, in some cases meditation, and more. Check it out if you haven't listened to it. We also uncover nutritional tips and workout routines from two of the fittest athletes in the world. Today, as I said, we discuss leadership, and I'll tell you what, we're going to sink into some of the most dominant players in sports, business, and authorship. This episode is jammed with wisdom on defining the best leader, or leaders, an open debate led by Wall Street Journal deputy editor and author of the New York Times bestselling book, The captain class. Actually, before I jump around topic, as I normally do, we'll start there. Sam Walker was one of the more anticipated and fun interviews I've had in all of last season. And in his conquest, Sam originally set out to identify the top teams in all of sports across the planet of all time. And he did so by creating certain parameters of which he defined. Stuff like sport must be global, which kind of took out lacrosse, although I have a bone to pick with him on that. The team must consist of five or more players, team must play the best caliber of talent in that sport, which effectively eliminated NCAA, and there's more. What Sam didn't expect on this conquest was that the 14 best teams of all time, men's and women's, they all shared one common characteristic. It was a singular, humble, sometimes uninteresting, seemingly lacking charisma at times, certainly not great with media. Did I say humble slash team first? captain and it was a captain of one not many sam tells us why and we'll also cut to the infamous michael jordan chicago bulls which is the best player of all time one of the greatest teams ever but why it wasn't mj that changed the course for that team rather bill cartwright take it away
1: sam couldn't believe it I mean really when when I started I, I I cottoned on to this kind of early because I looked at uh Bill Russell and the Boston Celtics and you know I, l- I looked at that team I was scouring that team and I said, gee that's kind of funny like th- this started the season that Russell showed up and it ended the season he left well you know wow it was must be Bill Russell's talent or something and you know and then again as I was looking at all the things I thought it was talent coaching tactics money, I saw the New Zealand All Blacks, his team from the from uh-huh. the late '80s, and I was like, "Wait a minute, this guy Buck Shelford showed up, and they immediately started this incredible winning streak. He became the captain of the team, and then they they very controversially sacked him because they didn't think he was." Uh, playing well enough and immediately 2 weeks later they lost their first match and i was like that's uncanny that's weird that was like russell and so i had an inkling this might be true i never thought that it would pan out but then i started looking at all these teams over and over again and like it's this is crazy it was uncanny the 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 dominant streak from beginning to end corresponded almost precisely with the arrival and departure of one player and it was always the person who was or would become the captain And and I mean, slap your forehead, obviously. It's a thing. You can look it up. It's Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating. And it just, you know, all the other things meanwhile. You know, coaching. Some of these teams had great coaches. Some had terrible coaches or had two different coaches. You know, some had mediocre talent. Some had great talent. There was no pattern. So this was the only pattern. Believe me, I looked at everything I could find and this is the only one. Michael Jordan is where I got my prejudices about leadership. I thought you had to be the best player, take the shot with the game in the line, incredibly charismatic, great with the media. Like, you know, I, I thought those were the, the hallmarks of leadership because that just was beaten into me when I was watching sports. And what I found out in talking to his teammates and just looking around, he was not a good captain. In fact, he was probably a bad captain. Right. I mean, he had a lot of talent on that team, and, and they, lo- they didn't win for the first six seasons. Everyone's saying Michael Jordan is the greatest NBA player who will never win a championship. Bill Jackson was a second-year coach. He wasn't Phil Jackson. He was just some guy who was kind of on the hot seat, of the, Jordan's third coach. But Jackson made Bill Cartwright the captain, and Bill Cartwright was the last guy you would ever think of as a leader. You know, he was kind of this sad guy who had a sad expression. He was always in pain. He had terrible knees. He never said anything. It was completely, you know, uninteresting. And, you know, but he mentored the younger players. He tried to get them to buy into their roles on that team. And uh, he played. He would do anything. He could score a lot, but he didn't. He did whatever needed to be done on the field. He carried water for the team. And that was, that was the moment. So they started the '90s season. They were like 8-13. and 13. I mean, they were, they were having a terrible season. Go back and look. The day that he made this announcement, that's the day they became a championship team. If you looked at the numbers and said, just purely the numbers, and said, what's the moment the Bulls became a championship team? You would point to that day because they went on this incredible tear, and they won their first title But they started the season really badly. It was that day. I mean, it's clear as a bell that there was a huge impact there. And, uh, you know, then that's when Jordan became good, when he had that, when he was allowed to be the star and someone else was taking care of the duties of management.
0: So Sam changed my view, not only on captainship, but voting structures and more. Definitely encourage you to read Sam's book, The Captain Class, if you haven't already. There's a note to that. In today's show notes on SuitingUpPodcast.com. Now on to an NFL captain and one who has been a part of a national championship team as well as multiple NFL franchises. Dehany Jones' experiences differ from Sam Walker's in that he believes multiple captains are needed. And he tells us why. That said, I want to give you a couple things to consider or perhaps leave up to you to contemplate. All right. Number one, football is a sport that's different than what I like to call run-of-play sports, as I hold up quotations. Think lacrosse, basketball, or soccer, where decisions on the fly or off the cuff are heavily dependent on a player's ability to choose on the go. In football, really after every four-second play, the game resets. A new play is called, and the game goes on. Moreover, the game is broken into really three mini-games. You have your offense, defense, and special teams, so much that many teams parse out their locker rooms, on-field benches, and huddles that entirely isolate each group from the next. I remember auditing Coach Belichick once, and he let me come in the locker room at halftime and before the game and watch the coaches do their thing. And yes, each mini-team was broken out in that locker room. So it's a long way of saying multiple captains in football may actually be the hole in Sam Walker's singular captain theory, although he did talk about football captains. But that's point one. Point two, Dahani may actually be talking about types of captains, and there's another quotation that I'm doing virtually through this microphone, in the theoretical sense, meaning, and ideally, the best captains in the world exude each of the characteristics he thinks the best leaders portray. My take, well, there are no blueprints in sports. That's why we play the game. Sam Walker did a great job of formulaically giving us ideas in how to think about shaping our team, and many of his points are spot on, but We often don't have a Carlos Pugliel or Tim Duncan or a Carla Overbeck. In fact, we rarely do. In which case, you may be better suited having multiple leaders
2: on field. What makes a great captain is someone that's able to listen to everybody and to be able to find what voice really needs to be heard. I think that's one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. Uh, a captain is actually, I would say this there's a couple of different captains, and that's why it's not always one captain, mm-hmm. right Sometimes it's two captains, three captains, four captains, in order to sort of make that that table, if you will uh, but I think one one captain is really good at being able to hear what the team is saying and communicate that to the coach. I think there's another captain that has a spark of energy that is contagious that is able to sort of move the team in a different direction um, if need be or to start them off in a way that needs to be established. I'd say there's a, another captain that's sort of an outlier um, that makes up the game and, and – not makes up the game, but plays the game in a, in a way that some people are in awe of. Mm-hmm. Right? Those, that's kind of like the person that I think is – it's like the bubble player, right? You Kind of untouchable because you don't know exactly what they're going to do. But when they do it, it's something special. It's like an Ed Reed. Right. He's just, you know, half the time, I'm, I'm watching Ed Reed on film. Half the time, he's out of position. Oh, yeah. Half the time, he doesn't know. I, I'm sure. I haven't talked to him. But you watch film. It's cover two. I was like, you're supposed to be on the far hash, and he's in the middle of the field,
1: Yeah. right? <laughs> it's
2: like,
0: what Little are you doing? To check and
2: Tom Brady say he was by far the hardest opponent to prepare for because they just didn't know what the because hell he was it, was, doing. it was instinct, yeah. And maybe that's the other captain, the instinctual, in, the instinctual captain, the the leader captain, or the spark captain, and then the moderator captain. Mm-hmm. And if you can kind of combine those three, and they work really well together you'll have a better litmus test and understanding of how the team is made up, and you can go out and win anything. Today's episode is brought to you by Mattress Firm. Many people say connecting
0: sleep to sports and business is not easy. My high-performing guests would argue the opposite. They require, on average, eight hours of sleep a night. It allows you to recover your muscles if you're working out or your brain so you can perform at the highest level the next day. Mattress Firm is America's neighborhood mattress store, and it should be your goal to check out the deals they have going on every day. Go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to check out these deals. They even offer a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch or a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com. Forward slash podcast to get the play by play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Follow me. My next guest was incredibly impressive his openness, honesty, vulnerability, even housewarming and welcoming. Jay, if you're listening, I'm up to get another coffee or drink, or perhaps even a whole meal of food if you'd like to invite me back. Great place. (laughs) Jay Williams is one of the busiest athletes in show business. He's gone through both emotional and physical trauma, had a potentially, probably certain, NBA Hall of Fame career cut short, very short, actually, by a motorcycle accident, his second year pro. He battled depression, almost committed suicide. He leaned into his family and close group of friends and has come out not only on top, but as is influential to me and many in his activism in the community for social rights and human interests. I'm a big fan of Jay Williams. Now on to leadership and humility, I suppose. Jay's a reminder to us that it's certainly okay not to be the leader on your team. In fact, his best year at Duke, which worth noting, playing under Coach K, was probably as life-altering as anything, was under the captainship of Shane Battier. Jay talks about the importance of communication, how valuable that is. You know, I think Shane Battier is probably a Sam Walker guy. But take it away, Jay. Uh,
3: My sophomore year was not the leader. And I think the first part about being a leader is recognizing that sometimes you're not the leader. Mm. We had a guy named Shane Battier in our team Mm. who verbally talked us through every single scenario. He was definitely our bona fide leader. I think I was one of the leaders on the team, but I think where I – really had the most impact was with the moxie in which i played Mm. because i was always kind of crazy competitive and Chris Duane who was my teammate, we joke about this, I can have 11 turnovers or I could have 15 assists. I could have 35 points or I can go 0 for 13 from the field. I got lost in the competitiveness and the passion of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I brought the advantage because there was this fire that just burned to me. And Coach helped me find that. He helped me find a way to play angry. That's when I played the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. But as far as the leadership, I mean, from the – the macro position that was Coach K and Shane Battier, because Shane Battier was an extension of Coach K on the floor, and you can imagine, like you know, when you're in a game, sometimes you just get lost in the muck, right? Yep. You get you, somebody starts talking to you, you get lost in that. You're compared, you know, competing. You're picking up, and the game moves so fast yep. that you can't thoroughly think through each and every possession. And when you have somebody that is constantly chirping in your ear about what the scouting report is or about what the game plan is, that's a leader. I mean, yeah. even when you're tired. I mean, I, I remember one time we were playing against North Carolina, and I'm, presser, I'm presser, uh, pressing the ball. And, you know, Coach K had this style where it was very tiring. He always wanted to press, and my job as a point guard was I had to try to turn you turn you two or three times before you got to half court each and every defensive possession yeah so imagine that like you come down you score three like i'm literally waiting for you on the baseline if your back is turned to me like all right let's go yeah like i can't think about let me still like it's about God. defensively turning you like getting you to spin or cross over whatever it is three times before you get to half court because mm-hmm. we can come bring traps whatever it is and one of the things that started to blow me away about shane is that and it's funny when you're a kid, you get annoyed by this. But now as an adult, I'm like, wow, it's so brilliant. He nonstop talking. Send him left. Send him right. Bring him to me. Remember, he can't dribble with his left. Remember, he can only finish with his right hand around the rim. Mm-hmm. That constant yapping not only helped me, but think about what that did to the offensive player. When you have somebody on defense reciting the scatter <sighs> report, he only finishes at the rim, you know, 30% with his right hand. He would say stuff like that. Yeah. And all of a sudden this guy, I'm a competitor. If somebody said to me, I'm like, I could finish with my right hand at the rim board than 30%. Nope. Like, all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. now I'm in a battle with myself on yeah. top of the battle I'm in with you individually and a team battle. Huh. Like, that's what he really brought to the table, and, which was
0: yeah, incredible. And what most athletes know is that, okay, yeah, communication makes sense. We should all communicate. But communication is really fucking hard because it's so tiring. It's tiring to to full-court press and turn that guard three times. And then to do so while talking, thinking, acting, and then communicating what you're thinking succinctly is really, really difficult. In in our sport, we rely on the goalie to do a lot of the defensive communication because he's not moving around and chasing the ball as much. Mm -hmm. When you have a dynamic defender who's communicating like Battier was – it is the secret sauce to many of the best defenses on the planet.
3: Do is psychological warfare to a way different degree. How are you guys in such good shape? You just run nonstop? Well, no, well, we used to do drills where uh you know we would do a, a ton of training exercises. And it was mandatory that we always had to say each other's names throughout the exercises. So, uh. you know, little things that it, – it's all about practicing habits. So we would go through practice one time where every time you had to pass the ball, you had to say the name of the player you were passing the ball to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would have to talk to each other while we were doing defensive drills. If there were slide and, and runs or whatever they were, our our, our practices were constant yapping. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't talking, then – K would pull you over to the side or however he had to reprimand you and he would tell you that you're being selfish. And it was it was weird because you would never think about you being quiet on the court that you're being selfish, but when you actually ultimately think about it, you really are because you're, inter- you're internalizing you're eternalizing everything that's going on. Well, mm-hmm. whoa, it's me. It's not going right for me, or you know, I haven't gotten a touch in the last three possessions. Why are you only thinking about you? That's right. You know, why are you not thinking about the team? Ultimately, the more the team is successful, the more you will be successful individually. Yeah. And it's him getting you to think outside the box in
0: scenarios like that, that really ultimately help you blossom as a team. New sponsor of the show, Beach Body On Demand. It's an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective, world-class workouts. Personalized to meet your needs. I mentioned sleep, we talk about training and fitness, and we talk about nutrition on the show. Beach Body On Demand includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. It's the total package to help you become the total package this year. Some familiar brands that are available, P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, T25, 3 Week Yoga Retreat, if you heard of them, they're there. Beachbody on-demand is convenient. It's ex- accessible from your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device. There's no need to go to a gym or schedule a class. Everything is right there on your personal device. Plus, your annual subscription is cheaper than a gym membership. This is also non-traditional as a new sponsor. There's not a website. There is a text call to action. And Right now, my student Up podcast listeners can get a free trial membership when you text Rabel. To three zero three zero three zero. That is R A B I L to thirty 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 on your phone right now. You get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutrition information free. Did you get that? No website, no money down. All the workouts, nutrition, that great content. All devices. Rable to thirty thirty thirty. Go. Now we're going to shift from Sam Walker and his ability to distill the top teams ever and their captains to Dahani Jones and Jay Williams' personal experience on field and court, to coaching and executive leadership. Of course, many of these characteristics our next guest will cover are really one and the same with the player captain on field. It's just framed differently. And for this segment, I'll do far less talking, mainly because our next guest was actually our first guest ever, and he just advanced to the seventh straight AFC championship game this past weekend with the New England Patriots. Seven straight AFC championship games. Truly amazing and unmatched. Coach Bill Belichick is a dear friend. He's a tremendous coach, best of all time. And he and I went into detail on a coach or executive's responsibilities, what those expectations are for his or her organizations, the requirements of those underneath his or her leadership, and why he, in particular, takes on a less is more mentality when it comes to his coaching depth chart, Coach B, you got it.
4: Yeah, it's it's a lot of leadership. It's a lot of management um, from all the support systems that we have. I mean, honestly, the coaching part of it is—I don't say easy, but I'm pretty. I've had a lot of experience at that. It's the uh, overseeing of all the departments: uh, video, training, medical. Um, equipment, operations, sports science, um, et cetera. Uh, so all those things that support our football team uh, have to be organized, coordinated, and uh, their jobs have to be identified and monitored and so forth. And certainly have people in each of those areas to do it, but it has to all be tied together somehow. So yeah. um, that's, that's definitely challenging. Um, that's not in the football coaching manual. That's right. uh, that's comes somewhere else. Um, but the coaching part of it really is, um, I say easy and fun. Um, not easy, easy, but you know, it comes easy Yeah. and, you know, working with assistant coaches, coordinators, uh, strength coaches, um, and then game plans and coaching and corrections and game day yeah. adjustments and all that. That's kind of the, the more standard and probably what people think coaching is, but the overall organization that goes with it or alongside of it, salary cap management, uh, draft strategy, draft evaluations, and so forth. It's, it
0: gets, you know, it's a big business. It's thick. Oh, man. I mean, it's. Very thick book. Yeah. I don't don't know. Uh, It's, and what's interesting too is, is I could hardly keep track of that laundry list of items that you're going through on a daily basis. Um, I'm, interested, as I look at lacrosse sticks in the corner, I'm interested in, in how you're keeping track of it. And I'm sure it's systematic in a way, or at some point it's just like part of how, how you wake up and think about what you do, but you also keep the leanest staff in the NFL. And and so like of all those obligations, why I'm sure over time or how have you developed a, a group of guys in terms of numbers underneath you that are, that are managing all that kind of stuff? Yeah,
4: I think, um, you know, my philosophy really is that less is more. And so I'd rather have fewer people doing more work than more people doing a little more work. Um, You know, as long as everybody's busy, as long as everybody feels productive, um, you know, they feel good about what they're doing and they feel like they're contributing. I think when people have uh, lag time and kind of not enough to do and then that leads to getting distracted or – um, you know, complaining or uh, whatever, being less productive, you know, even though you have more people, sometimes less work gets done. So um, and I'd say from a getting everybody on the same page standpoint, which is critical, uh, the fewer people you have to manage, the easier it is to get everybody on the same page. So if you're talking to, you know, 10 people, it's hard to get all 10 people doing the same thing or doing the right thing. Um, now you make that number 20, instead of 10, it's even more difficult. And yep. Um if you have uh, five people supervising another 15 people, now you've got another layer there where you're not dealing directly with everybody. and now it's uh, you're somewhat uh, at the, um, you know, you're dependent on other people to relay the message the way you want it done uh, and to monitor it that way. And certainly there's a degree of that, but as much of that as I can uh, eliminate, I, I think just works better for me.
0: Whether you're Coach Belichick looking to hire a quality candidate to a lean staff or you're my brother Mike and have to hire weekly and monthly candidates to fulfill this robust Silicon Valley organization, you're in need of great talent and you're probably short on time, but you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect candidate. You just need to have the right tools, smarter tools. In comes ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter posts your jobs to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. That's efficient. Then they actively look for the most qualified candidates and invite them to apply. It's no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. And right now, my listeners can post their jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. If you're hiring, or frankly, not looking to hire, but foresee that coming soon, this is free. And right now, if you go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross, You can post your job. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. One more time, try it now for free. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. It's always amazing sitting back and listening to Coach Belichick open up to us about his secret sauce. So thankful for that conversation. And we're cheering you on, Coach, as I hope you all listening at home are or in the car or on your walk are too, especially if you're a student up pod regular. Go Pats. Now let's move from the field and court and really sports to the boardroom and to my next guest, who I feel incredibly lucky to have access to from a mentorship capacity. This person's entrepreneurial career consisted of building businesses from scratch, in some cases sleeping on gym floors, raising private and institutional capital, selling companies and eventually running a C-suite team of executives in Silicon Valley, most importantly and perhaps Relevant to today's show in this segment, he's hired and managed over 250 people in his career. That means a lot of emails, phone calls, rounds of in-person interviews, followed up by quarterly and in some cases monthly, weekly reviews, performance improvement plans, critical thinking. My older brother, Mike Rabel, has been a business partner of mine for 10 years. But don't kid yourself, he's got tenfold the experiences I do in the workplace, at least. I just get to call him a business partner because I invest in his doings. And Mike's going to talk us through how to hire someone who's more talented than you. Because if you think about it, it ain't an easy thing to do, especially taking the perspective of the hiree. Wouldn't they want to be working for someone who they feel is smarter than them? That trajectory often conflicts. I was pretty public about my New Year's resolution this year. I want to surround myself with at least five people who I want to be like which reading between the lines means the accompanying people who are smarter, more compassionate, more fit than me. That's a fast way to improvement, but how do you surround yourself with those people? The same goes for the workplace. However, kind of what Mike hits on and where the biggest variable is lies in yours and my and our collective soft skills, which are the ability to motivate, be a visionary, be strategic. Executors often align with strategists and visionaries and vice versa. Most importantly, though, is our ability to be transparent, honest. People appreciate that.
5: We're super hardworking, but damn, we have a bunch of smart people that work with us. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's one of the things I always think about is surround yourself with the smartest people you possibly can. Yeah. And it's gonna make you better. Um, and I think that that was really important to me when I was at Funding Circle is, it was one of the first things I had to do was look myself in the face and say, okay, you got to hire managers now who are going to report into you go out there and find the best freaking managers who are way smarter than you to lead the organizations you got yep. to find a great manager for the sales team got to find a great manager for the for the channel sales team got a great manager for the bd team great manager for the partnership team they got to be way smarter and more capable than you you just got to get them to believe in you as a leader yeah if they if they don't believe in you as a the leader then they'll leave or they'll never take the job hmm. right obviously I'm oversimplifying it but that's how I had to get look at, look at hiring really talented people. So I went out there and and pitched an amazing platform, but this opportunity for them to grow. And then you have to show them the path of growth, but you, you hire them and you you pitch them on the opportunity and you give them enough rope that they can go lead on their themselves. But then you got to always think six to 12 months ahead because you have to be leading them, which is really challenging when you have really smart people working for you.
0: Yeah. And if the people are smarter than you, uh, trying to, to cut down to, application or utility for listeners is to get someone to believe in you, they have to believe in your soft skills, mm-hmm. right? you have to show them those? What are some ways that as a leader, if you're hiring someone, you haven't built that trust in a relationship yet. Yeah. Why do they believe in you or, you know, yep. the next
5: person? Well, I think the first one is just being really pragmatic about where you want, it, how you're going to get there. Yeah. Right? Everyone thinks that the startup they work for, the company they work for is is the next rocket ship, So I think being very thoughtful about the path to that and what the risks that can make that rocket ship blow up midair and being very transparent. And so I think that that is sort of the first thing. And I think that people, uh, smart people are going to be able to pick up on that if they believe your story, which hopefully is authentic and you're not lying to them. I never would. The market opportunity is huge for some funding circle. It still is. And so I would talk about the opportunity that we have to grow as an organization and to impact lives. But here are the risks. And I would talk about the risk as well. And I would be very, very transparent about and and setting expectations before I hired anyone. So that was one. I think transparency is one of the biggest things when you're hiring someone is to make sure that they understand fully what they're getting into. Because the worst thing you can have is someone join a team and all of a sudden be like, this isn't what you said when you interviewed me. You know, that's terrible. Yeah. Then you're like, "Well, well, things change, right? Things change all the time in a startup. And you need to remind people that when they're joining one. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one. And I think the other one is is, is really just passion for the business. For me, it was personal. You know, I think that there's two things. Like money is personal in general, so we're lending money to small business owners. But two, I was that small business owner. I still am that small business So were you, Yeah. right? And being that small business owner and, and going to 100 different banks and knocking on doors and getting shut down with a great business plan was really personal to me. And so, you know, I would tell that story, and so I think people would buy into that. And it was real; it was a real live example. I wasn't talking, in no disrespect to all the amazing startups and people that are working on cool apps out here, but like I wasn't talking about some Apple type of an app and comparing it to some like Uber of this. Right. I was just saying we are lending to small businesses, which are the backbone of America, and we are helping them put food on the table for their family and for their employees and create great products for. uh uh consumers or other businesses and that's what we're doing we are helping them grow and do you want to be a part of that and it was just very simple and authentic and real yeah i think people
0: would buy into that shout out to big bro mike thank you very much for coming on the show i love you man and we'll be talking to you either later today or tomorrow now the final segment i'm tapping into one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time for additional motivation his name is drew Brees. Drew's advice, while not necessarily direct to leadership, certainly embodies core characteristics of how to become a leader or follow your conquests and dreams. Moreover, we can all continue to be reminded by those like Drew to nourish our resilience and grit. But before I jump there, my final take, and this is a bit pulled from Mike's level of transparency and honesty. And it flags that leadership is often romanticized or having that C on your chest. We chase that maybe for the wrong reasons. And it's important to know the flags or the warning signs of what it takes to be a leader. So I'm going to reel this off. First is that leadership is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. It requires patience and openness and often desire and a want to fail. Good leaders must be capable of receiving feedback. That means leave any defensiveness you have at home. If you sense yourself getting feedback from a teammate or a coach, do your best to recognize rather than give them an excuse or a reason for something that have happened, listen, acknowledge and respond to exactly what they're saying in a helpful empathic way. Leadership will not promise you a rose garden. What does that mean? Well, I think a lot of people try to chase that captainship so they can put it on their resume, but that's the wrong reason to be a leader. You should be a leader because you enjoy galvanizing your team, your community, your suite of executives, your employees. It's something that is a part of your DNA and you experience those moments in communication and thoughtfulness and vulnerability and being able to work, putting the team first for a common goal. Finally, this one's a little bit more abstract, but any leader know it to be true. Leadership is reserved for those who welcome loneliness. It is a very lonely thing. Being a head coach, being a captain, oftentimes you have questions that you can only look inward to find those answers to. Now Drew, on a positive note, take it away with some motivation.. Don't ever
5: let anybody tell you that you can't uh, achieve something you're willing to work for. Um, hmm. You know, there's, 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 there's so many stories about, there, uh, about kids with talent who never made it anywhere because they didn't have that fire or passion in their hearts. And then there's, there's plenty more stories about the kids that were told that they would never amount to anything because they weren't big enough, strong enough, fast enough, whatever, and yet they just had that fire, passion, uh, grit, uh that that they just said you know what i'm 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 never going to give up and i'm always going to work for it and i know that as long as i do things the right way good things are going to happen and i'm going to worry about the things i can control and you know those those are the stories that i love and, and 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 i feel like those are the things that have had the biggest influence on me and so um that would be my advice man don't
0: ever let anybody tell you you can't accomplish something you're willing to work for you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to let us know. Continue that conversation with us on social media. My handle's at Paul Rabel, preferably Twitter. We've got a strong running list of 2018 interviews that we're going to drop right here in two Mondays. Also tweet at me as you did last week with your athlete, entertainer, author, or entrepreneur suggestions. They converted and I'd love to continue to do that moving forward. We're really getting deep into the relationship that we have here, the bond that we're forming at Suiting Up. Be the first to listen to next week's episode, which is part three of my 2017 Musings, as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with each of today's highlighted guests. All of those episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please consider lending us a subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts. It's free, and we're very grateful for that. Shortcut to today's show notes at suitinguppodcast.com. Shout out to our show sponsors, Mattress Firm, Beachbody, and ZipRecruiter. I'm very grateful. And I'm also looking forward to next week's episode, coalescing great previous guests and talking success and failure. Have a great week.